If you were a spiritual person, what would that mean? Spiritual themes are integrated within the areas of wellness, therapy, and especially addiction recovery. On this episode of Through the Trees, we sit down with Adam Richardson, spiritual counselor at Cedar. We explore the topic of spirituality on a deeper level with an emphasis on the most important ingredient, feeling connected. Addiction treatment healthcare is vast territory, much of it having yet to be fully charted. It also is a field with some of the most passionate and interesting of clinicians. Each week, we walk the addiction treatment trails, learning from experts of all backgrounds and specialties. My name is Pat Failing, and I'm an addiction psychiatrist for Cedar in the University of Colorado. You're listening to Through the Trees, the Cedar Addiction Treatment Podcast. Well, this is Dr. Pat Failing. And I'm really happy today on our radio show to sit down with Adam Richardson. Adam is uh, one of the spiritual counselors on our team here at Cedar at the treatment facility. And he has a, a master's in divinity and also a master's in counseling. Themes of spirituality have very often and historically gone hand in hand with alcoholism recovery, addiction recovery, uh, things like that. So I'm, I'm really excited to sit down with you. Uh, Adam, welcome to our welcome to our show. Oh, thanks. Glad to be here. Adam, how should we start with exploring this topic? We're talking about spirituality, and I know there's probably a lot of people or a lot of our listeners would have different views on what, what spirituality means to them, uh, different definitions. I know sometimes this is interwoven with themes of religion. What how would we define the difference between spirituality and religion? I think it's a good place to start because um, there can be a lot of confusion between these two ideas. In terms of religion, I see religion as essentially it's an organization, it's a community. Um, there has to be some communal component. Every community has some element of um, a different, uh, a certain belief system, uh, certain practices. Uh, there's usually uh, some kind of structure, whether that's a hierarchical structure of power or how that, you know, how the community kind of organizes itself. Uh, religions have a tendency to organize uh, people throughout their life in terms of different rituals at different, you know, life stages and things like this, with the overall purpose of connecting with some kind of sacredness or divinity. But the operating factor is there has to be for a religion to be in operation a community of people. Spirituality, as opposed to that is very much about one's individual uh, way of making meaning about the world. Um, it's really, at essence, um, about connection. So when people come in um, to treatment here, we spend a lot of time separating out um, what is spirituality and what is religion. So in terms of connection, it could look like connecting to oneself on a really deep level. And so spirituality would look like, what is my sense of purpose? Who do I really want to be in the world? Am I in line with my values? Is, are my actions kind of in accordance with that? Um, am I connected with my emotions? Am I able to set appropriate boundaries where I feel like I need to? And am I able to be vulnerable when I need to? It can look like connecting to uh, the external world in terms of uh, do I have a supportive community? Do I have a, um, you know, what is my vocation like? Is it something that I'm passionate about? Is it something that, you know, really stresses me out? 
where do I find my passions in life? What kinds of things help to fill me back up? Um, the root word of spirit is breath, or kind of taking in energy, or kind of taking in vitality. This idea of what is it that really fills us up, helps us to feel a sense of aliveness, a sense of vitality, a sense of well-being, a sense of love and support. And for some people, it will include connection with a, a being of some sort, a god or a, something in the spiritual realm. Uh, some people, it won't. But in terms of what treatment is and why spirituality is important, um, the important piece is how do you reconnect with places in your life that do give you that sense of life, vitality, a sense of support, a sense of aliveness, a sense of love, essentially, because that's really the key ingredient in healing. So, so if if one of our clients starts up care, sits down with you, will you start by asking some of those questions? Like, what, like kind of what they would say? Absolutely. So I will explain a little bit if they come in, talk a little bit about the difference between spirituality and religion, and then start to get a history of, you know, what are the places in your life where you have, you know, in the previously... Um, you know, felt this sense of connection, this sense of well-being, this sense of love. What do those supports still look like for you? What kind of practices have you done in the past that have been helpful? I will take a religious history, too, because often people find their sense of spirituality within the context of religion. Some people don't, um, but often that is an, an, an integral component. And then what I'm also listening for, listening for are where are the disconnections that have taken place? Have there been particular traumas in your life um, that have caused someone to disconnect from themselves or to disconnect and say the world's not safe or that maybe it's not safe to actually go into inside and so I'm listening for their history and the way they're viewing the world and the places that they may be disconnecting part of it is just taking an inventory about what's been happening and looking for um, places where they can reconnect now one of the things that's nice about spirituality is it's very much client-led like I can't tell them what their spirituality is going to look like, what are the places in their life that they're going to connect with, or even what meaning they're making out of their experience. So my role is not in, to say, like, you have to do X, Y, and Z, and then it's all going to be okay, but really to listen, to help people to explore, and to go on their own journey, and to really honor and respect them and where they're at. It seems like it would have a lot of threads that interweave with kind of classical psychotherapy like you're exploring the concept of a self mm -hmm. and what is inside and and, and the search for meaning absolutely classical psychotherapy and then a lot of um, addiction uh, treatment modalities and therapeutic modalities are based on spiritual principles too so if you look at dbt um, was uh, created by a, a zen buddhist uh, priest and they're using a lot of the same principles in terms of dialectics one of the principles of Buddhism is that there is a an energetic field or something that is bigger than you know duality or bigger than you know any kind of pairs of opposites and so there's a translation that takes place um, in DBT and um, act training in terms of values it's a, often a spiritual component so in a lot of you know what we think of as modern traditional therapeutic approaches have a spiritual component that's been translated in some way oh interesting and I know spirituality is talked about in the world of even like Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about this. What's what's some of the background? Sure. Okay. So um, in terms of the spiritual piece, um, the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they're kind of coming together with the language. There were a couple different groups that were doing addiction treatment. One was more Christian-based, the Oxford group, and then there was a more secular group, and they all were kind of coming together to figure out the language of the 12 steps. One of the 
criticisms of 12-step as very much God-centric or Christian-centric. Um, and so these two groups were coming together to try and figure out how do we craft um, some kind of um, language that gets to the heart of what it means to recover from addiction and honors uh, the religious component or what the Oxford group was you know, touting as, you know, it has to be a belief in God and Christian ideals that helps people to recover, and a more secular group. And so the language they came up with, the idea that first uh, to admit powerlessness and then to connect with what is, you know, known as a higher power, is kind of the compromise that they came up with. And that was an amalgam of the Christian group who wanted to say it has to be God that is, you know, kind of the driving force of recovery and the secular group. Now, the interesting piece is is that the higher power, uh, the way I see it in terms of how it relates to spirituality, is that what we're talking about is really a higher power than an addiction. Uh, there has to be some force, there has to be some, you know, something that intervenes, and addiction doesn't going to just stop itself normally. And if people's self-will could be enough to stop it, then uh, it would be, you know, lovely. There would be no I mean, treatment. Yeah, they, they kind of would have already. Yeah, it would have. There would be no point in spending time and money to be a treatment. So you have this paradox where there has to be, um, you know, due to the way that addiction works and the way that it takes over internal processes and thinking and the physiological components of it, that this idea of will isn't enough. And so there has to be some component that is bigger than um, the addiction. And so this idea of higher power. And so for the Christian group, that was satisfactory, and they could see God as that higher power. And then for a secular group, that is, what is that higher power going to be for you? And that could take the place of, it could be meetings, it could be fellowship, it could be structure, it could be, you know, treatment, it could be learning new skills, it could be um, a lot of different things can be a higher power than addiction. And so if you look at how the, you know, step work is formed, it offers a lot of flexibility in terms of, you know, you can take it in a more religious direction and work it that way, or you could take it in a more secular direction. But the general principle is is that there has to be something outside of yourself that ultimately you can rely on in order to recover. Do, do we ever look at, or, or do you ever have clients who will describe some sort of a spiritual deficit, and that's why they are motivated to recover, like to return back to a value set that they had in the past or oh absolutely something? i think that's the main when people come in um, most people as they come in and i sit with them they describe uh, a deep spiritual deficit and what i mean by spiritual deficit is a lack of connection in their life so if i talk with them emotionally about what it's like to be active in your addiction it is extremely there's a lot of shame there's a lot of guilt there's a real darkness there's a feeling that the world that there's nothing, um, there's no hope out there in the world, the world's not a safe place, uh, the world doesn't have much to offer, and that if you look at inside, they feel very shameful about themselves and their actions. And so in terms of the spiritual deficit, there is a lack of connection with something positive, something, a loving presence, this idea of unconditional love in their life. And so it feels to them very, very dark, and some of them will even describe um, emotionally feeling like there's a hole inside of them where something should be. Um, we can look at that in a lot of different ways, you know, attachment and things like that, but that they often feel that they are motivated to, what can I do about this hole that I just feel, this darkness that just kind of encompasses me. And my sense is, is that the spiritual connection, whatever that looks like for them, is some kind of nourishment, has some way of filling that. And if people are able to 
attach and actually get involved in something that they find worthwhile, um, supportive, and get that positive energy back. That's how healing can happen. Do we ever have people who have a lot of resistance to talking about spirituality? They, almost like they you, they have an appointment with you, and then they say hello, and then they find out that you're on the spiritual team, and then they're like, no, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Absolutely. I don't, I don't a lot of reasons for that, too. Um, one, um, because there is such a um, correlation with spirituality and addiction, for some people, uh, they come in with a tremendous amount of religious trauma. Um, and what does that mean? Um, one, it could look like they were involved in a religious community and they felt like they were excluded, that there was um, for you know who they were, that maybe their values didn't align with that and they were excommunicated. Some religions are very much more hard line in terms of you either believe this or you're out. And so there can be um, a real sense of being abandoned or being kicked out of a community. We've had people, a number of people that have come in um, dealing with uh, sexual issues in terms of um, from the Catholic faith, and they're very, very wary to enter into um, any kind of religious dialogue, thinking that it is just not a good situation. Sure. They, yeah, um, they have associations of those entities as being hurtful. Absolutely. As being unsafe. Or... Yep. Absolutely. And there's also a piece, too, that um, religion is all, uh, sometimes tied in to a sense of authority. And so oftentimes when there has been trauma in the past, it's very scary to be vulnerable and to feel like you're going into something that you may not know very much about and that someone might have authority over you. So there can be some of the issues. And then there's issues with um, one of the things that happened in our uh, society is that uh, with the rise of um, kind of a more science-based way of understanding that spirituality has been denigrated. So some people feel spirituality is woo-woo or spirituality is fluff and there's not a lot of value in it. And so there's like, what's the point, you know? That's a common theme these days of even uh, articles that are looking at addiction as just 100% scientific hmm. and uh, promoting medications, which we actually use a lot at Cedar, sure. and we use a lot of medication approaches and different things, biologic approaches, sure. but at the rejection of some of the more abstract qualities of what it means to recovery. And I, I don't know, I, I think that some of these, that they're mis that it's short-sighted of them. Yeah, one of the things I love about Cedar is we've got a multidisciplinary approach. And uh, one of the things that's fascinating in sitting with patients is just looking at how different approaches might resonate at a different time and different things are needed. So, you know, it could be, you know, medication-assisted therapy. It could be psychotherapy. It could be the spirituality component, the fitness component, the family component. Um, I think addiction is such a multi-layered and multimodal, you know, category of what's happening Um that it is, you know, to exclude any piece of that, um, I think it, you're, you're missing something. Sure, yeah. What are some of the themes that we notice if uh, of people who come in re regarding this topic of spirituality and they're, they're new to treatment? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm imagining there's a lot of questions. They yep. probably, they're probably feeling you out and be like, what is this? Yeah. Um, what's my, what do, you, what do you see? So, yeah, um, a lot of questions, uh, absolutely, and they're hearing a lot. Part of treatment at Cedar is they're going to, um, you know, 12-step um, meetings of some kind in the evening, so AA meetings or NA meetings or CA meetings, and in those meetings they're being told that in order to recover there's got to be 
some kind of connection with a power greater than yourself. And so there's a lot of questioning around what does that look like for me? What does that mean? And then questioning, one of the big questions people have when they're here is, who am I? Um, when you've gone through any kind of um, you know, active in your addiction, you lose so much touch with the person that you used to be before the addiction. And often these addictions start early on in someone's development. So when it starts when you are 13, 14, 15 years old, and you're kind of going through this process of questioning who you are, and that gets hijacked because you're active in your addiction, often people show up and say, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know what I would connect to. I don't even know what it means to be connected or to kind of figure out who I am. So we spend a lot of time figuring out, you know, who are you? What are your values? What kinds of things do you love? What kind of person do you want to be? can be a pretty big theme that happens in treatment. And it also can be a chance for people to reevaluate you know, big life changes. Sometimes an addiction can kind of manifest after some kind of major, you know, event in one's life, whether that's a divorce or the loss of something, where there's some kind of major grief process happening that the addiction will numb out. So a lot of the work I'll do, other kind of common themes are themes of grief and loss and how to start to touch into that and make meaning about what's happening and how to shift one's life, essentially, um, instead of just numbing it out and trying to continue as if things are going on as they were. Oh, interesting. So a little bit of almost like using their spirituality, like building spirituality, but also finding ways to use it to process through a crisis. Absolutely. I mean, my hope is that it's a very practical thing. As much as spirituality can be esoteric or abstract, the idea is that forming a connection with yourself, learning how to practice self-compassion, learning how to be with your emotions in a way that is you know, connecting, learning how to be with others, and then using those skills to dive into some of these things like grief and loss is tremendously beneficial. And so it should be hopefully something that's not, I only practice spirituality, um, you know, once a week or I, you know, only when I'm involved in prayer or meditation or some specific spiritual practice that it's going on, it should be an ongoing 24-7 of am I living in accordance with who I really want to be right now. Do you ever do any sort of like a reframing for people? I'm, I'm thinking somebody comes in and they says, or they were to say, I'm really not spiritual at all. Mm -hmm. And you were kind of to reframe it and be like, actually, you know, there are some spiritual themes in how you see things or oh, how you live. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so a lot of time people come in, I'm definitely not spiritual or um, I'm like, well, just tell me about what you love, you know? What do you love doing? Where do you feel a sense of connection? So I was talking with someone a little bit ago. I'm definitely not spiritual, but then we started talking about hunting. And they're like, you know what? I love, you know, getting out in the morning, and I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm with a couple guys, and, um, and we are just really bonded, and we watch the sun come up, and we, you know, kind of have this experience where we feel very at one with nature. And, I mean, there's something very much getting in touch with my sense of humanity when I'm involved in hunting and actually taking the life and then skinning the animal and all this stuff. And would never say that he was spiritual at all, but then was describing this incredible connection that he has with his community, where he gets a sense of support, and then the connection that he has with his world um, in some way, shape, or form. And so then expanding on that and saying, what does that feel like on, a, on an emotional level? What does it feel like when you're there and feeling connected? What does that feel like in your body? Uh, what does that do for you? And so then often it's like, oh, wow, actually I feel good then. I don't feel a sense of anxiety when I'm out there. Yeah. I don't feel a sense of, you know, whatever it is that I'm carrying throughout the day, there's some kind of release because I'm doing something I love. And then looking at how do we look at that, build that in 
during the day, what is that? What that really take when you're not out hunting or something like that? Yeah, or like, um, I'm really very sorry, sir. You actually are somewhat spiritual. <laughs> right. I'm sorry to inform you. It's like, no, anything but that. I'm definitely not. I don't want to be any part of group with that. I think, yeah, some of that speaks to these, uh, I don't know, social constructs of what a spiritual person is. And it, yeah, that you mentioned the idea of it being kind of fluff or right, something, the, or weak. I don't right. Know, you maybe, have the, to, maybe this hunter is strong. I think there is a part of that. Absolutely. This idea of this masculinity or not wanting to show emotion or that spirituality in some way is uh, is weak or that it's, you know, weird or that you have to, you know, um, dress in a certain way or, you know, look a certain way that's maybe outside the norm um, in order to be, quote unquote, spiritual. So, yeah, I love that, that idea that it's, there's something about, um, my sense of it is it's a basic human thing that everyone wants to feel connected, to feel a sense of belonging, to feel a sense of love. I think that's just kind of how we're, most people are wired. Sure. So the so connection. That's what I'm hearing you say. Themes of connection and attachment seem to be really hand in hand. Huge. With spirituality. Yeah, and huge. Then, and then I guess also I know we know people when they're knee deep in addiction, they feel detached, they feel unconnected, and hence their, Absolutely. their spirituality might be an all time low mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, and you look at if you look at what addiction does, um, it is very isolative. For the most part, if someone's engaged in active in their addiction, they are disconnecting from, you know, supportive friends. They are disconnecting from family most of the time. They're disconnecting from themselves in terms of numbing themselves out or evoking uh, some kind of consciousness that's not exactly where they're at or trying to manage their their way of being. Um, and so there's a tremendous disconnection from reality, disconnection from self. And so there's a deep loneliness that's there. And so... The spirituality piece is that reconnection, is that trying to come back into who you are and um, come back into connection with a supportive community. Experience the compassionate care of CEDAR, the Center for Dependency, Addiction, and Rehabilitation. Located at the University of Colorado Hospital, we manage complex health needs in addition to addiction. To learn more, visit cedarcolorado.org. So I know we only have a certain amount of time to work with people here. If you had somebody who was like, I, I like this, I want to build up, I want to keep pondering and keep reflecting and keep working on my views of spirituality and my life going forward, how, how would you guide them? Sure. It's a good question. Um, so if they're involved in AA or other kinds of um, 12-step group, often they will get um, a sponsor, uh, someone, kind of a mentor. And they will walk them through um, going through all the steps. And that can be a wonderful, tremendous uh, spiritual resource. Um, I often give people resources. Part of what I'm doing is just trying to feel out, you know, what is interesting while you're here. Are you interested in, you know, maybe some people, we have a meditation program in the morning. Maybe someone's into that. Um, And so then it's like, well, here are the different meditation groups. Here's how you can connect. Um, It could be um, I'm kind of fishing as they're here and trying to see... What are your passions? What kinds of things are you interested in? And try and connect people there. Um, in terms of, you know, and if there's some kind of religion often that people are interested in kind of reconnecting with, that can be a way. In terms of ongoing spiritual, you know, kind of focused treatment, there's not a lot. Um, there's not a lot of providers out in the community that are doing specifically addiction, 
the spirituality of addiction, but um, there's a lot of therapists that will hold that in terms of seeing spirituality as an um, important role, and that can be another avenue for people to explore further. I'm thinking of this critically because I know that I've had people seek out uh, like a faith counselor, but definitely sometimes where that person didn't even understand, they didn't understand alcoholism. Yeah. They had uh, almost a little bit to, they, their recommendations only was just themes of prayer. Sure. And and almost and sometimes in a dark way the, the sinfulness or I mean the old the old views on addiction which was it was a moral disease. I know, um, what's your what's your sense on this? Does does some of this still exist? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So a lot of there is a, a definite there can be I'll say a religious undercurrent of you know either one. Um, that sin is a religious disease and what you need to do is, you know, cleanse yourself of sin and be more connected in terms of a faith. And even more darkly, you know, um, that you shouldn't even be trying to go to other kind of providers, that it all should be in the context of religion. You don't need to go to a therapist or to a psychiatrist or to work with any kind of medication. So sometimes, not all the time, you know, particularly um, an uh, only faith-based, um, you know, kind of mentor or a guide can be detrimental. Oh, interesting. That sounds like a very distrustful position, like that there aren't... I mean, I think that that's one theme that we've really promoted on this podcast is there is a whole plethora of available people and avenues to help people recover. Sure. Vastly different things. And we, we work with people at Cedar to find the right fit. Like we, I like what you said about just what people like, something that seems to grab them and they're like, I like this, and then trying to build it up from the from a lens of them recovering but some of these other avenues would be almost rejecting of other things or closed off excessively protective sure of somebody can be absolutely and sometimes that's what people want and that's what they need and that's where they feel safe and so i'm not going to say that that is not the avenue for you know you know i wouldn't you know for myself go in that direction but i think for some people is very comforting to be surrounded um, oh, that's, by that's a perfect. very strong and, and like, you're you like know. super accepting you're like super, well, it's just, I mean, <laughs> if the, if this person goes to a closed off person if that's the right thing for them that's great. well i think there is something to that sometimes someone that's closed off is very strong in what they believe and that sometimes people find a lot of comfort in that and it might be what they need in the moment of not being able to process a lot of different information they want someone to say sure. this is exactly how it is is exactly what's needed you know if you just do this here's what it's going to be and to have that sense of security and it may work for a while and it may something might change and need something else in the future um, but I don't ever you know my role is really to say what are you really looking for at this point in time and to process that and trying to help people get the best decision and what really works for them sure but they, yeah I think the tapping into this concept of them feeling secure there's probably something there feeling contained in a way from a from a therapeutic lingo Absolutely. Um, well, very good. Are, are there? Do you ever recommend books? Like, if you had somebody, are there any really good reading materials for oh. our listeners or for patients to learn more about these? Oh, fantastic! There's like tons of books. I mean, when I'm talking with someone, it really is based on their interest. Um, in terms of um, things I've been reading recently, I like um, uh, "Spirituality of Imperfection" is good. 
Um, the Gifts of Imperfection is another kind of one specifically relating to uh, addiction. There's a nice one that Brene but, Brown... But those are two separate books. Two separate books. So the Spirituality of, of Imperfection, Imperfection and then Gifts of Imperfection. Gift of Imperfection. Okay. There's a one that Brene Brown just put out. I think it's called Braving the Wilderness. And it's all about this idea of belonging, which really I think is the heart of connection and spirituality and gets to a lot of addiction themes. Um, it's just, it's lovely. Um, but in terms of specifically when I'm working with someone, if someone is interested in a particular religion, let's say, you know, Buddhism or, you know, or more interested in an indigenous spirituality or Christianity, I will attempt to, you know, connect them with books in their faith and kind of what they're interested in. So it's really a not a one-size-fits-all. It's kind of just to match people up with where they're at. Sure. I know we actually do uh, some data analysis at Cedar and our spiritual team gets actually very strong results in terms of a shift, like mm. in terms of this has to do with scoring patients when they walk in and abstract, the themes of what we call like a, their spiritual scores, and these are based on rating scales. But I know that very often when people are leaving treatment, they feel like their spirit, their sense of spirituality really got boosted while they were here. Do you, do you feel this? Oh, what, with people? Oh, absolutely. Um, and there's a number of reasons I feel for that. Um, one is that this could be the first time, you know, sometimes in their life we're even talking about themes of spirituality. So it's not even on some people's radar. And then also if you look at spirituality in a broader sense of this idea of reconnecting, so much of treatment at Cedar is based on that. You're going to be in group, you know, a lot of the day. You're going to be talking about this. You're going to be thinking about this. You're going to be meeting with you know, myself and, you know, um, other providers who are going to be bringing up these themes of, you know, of how do you really live your best life and how, what are the barriers to that happening? And so I think that all the providers here are in some way, you know, contributing to people feeling a more of a sense of well-being, more of a sense of internal groundedness, more of a sense of really being able to be the person that they, that they really are and not have this disease um, hijack um, their life essentially. So, um, so I think it definitely is important that we do the individual work and be able to dispel a lot of the barriers to understanding what spirituality is. I think is crucial, and I think they're getting it throughout the day. You know, almost you know twenty four seven, so to speak. Adam, I know we have spoken in the past about. Uh, even the educational curriculum we have and the the world of even what are called what hospital chaplains mm -hmm. like people who have it's spirituality healthcare spirituality mm -hmm. and i imagine does uc health there's a fair amount, are there we have chaplains across the hospital mm -hmm. and is it is it a similar way as how you're talking about it today yep themes so. of connection spirituality it's a lot. Um, it really depends. Uh, chaplain is a little bit of a um, a role that's kind of um, a little like a chameleon. It can kind of move into a lot of different places. So um, if you're working in the hospital, it obviously looks different than over here at Cedar. But the general idea that chaplains are trained to be able to be to helpful um, in helping people to figure out their own internal values, to actually enter into people's world um, and help them to you know, explore um, these themes that we've been talking about, about connection, to help them to, in the moment, learn how to connect better. And so at the hospital, I think that there are a number of, there's a number of staff chaplains, and there's a number of chaplain residents that are going through a training program. And then periodically, the chaplain residents will do a rotation over here at Cedar for 
about th- uh, between three or six months. And so um, it's neat for me to be able to talk about what are the difference, what are you seeing at the hospital versus what does it look like over here. There's a little bit more, um, actually a lot more counseling focus um, here at Cedar, and the hospital has a tendency to be more crisis management. Um, oh, sure. But the same general idea about how to hold people through something and how to help them to connect with inner resources and connect with um, a sense of you know goodness or richness in their life. And helping people walk through fear. I'm sure people in, the, in any sort of hospital setting, it's incredibly scary. Some of this can be life-threatening, just helping them talk about that. Absolutely. And, and increase their comfort to sharing that with somebody. Yeah. I think the most important thing that we offer, honestly, is um, is either the hospital or here is a safe place. Um, a safe place, a non-judgmental, an accepting place where we can explore. Um, whether that is, like I said, fears around death at the hospital or fears around a surgery um, or here at Cedar in terms of um, thoughts around, you know, processing, you know, what it was like in the midst of an addiction or, you know, um, what are the fears around, you know, relapse or whatever that is, and really providing a very safe container where this can be um, worked through and providing essentially an extra, you know, an unconditional positive regard, we could say, or a sense of real unconditional acceptance of the situation, which I think is transformative for people to experience that. Sure. So yeah, heavily validating that they're trying their best or they have that they're the protagonist in their own story. Yep. Yep, to really give the power back to them. Um, and then also to look at even addiction as a as a coping strategy that actually, you know, has some kind of value and had some reason why it was in place. That it doesn't, you know, necessarily mean that they have done something wrong, that it's a moral failing, that there is something that is, you know, you know, it's not a flaw with them. It actually in some way was their attempt to protect themselves or their attempt to in some way take care of themselves and so to reframe it as you know as something that they have the power to you know overcome that because um, you know in some way shape or form they have a lot of resources that can you know be deployed sure so this has been very interesting I think this was good Adam and I hope our listeners find it really fascinating too I know I did if you could give any advice to people either families other uh, professionals who are mm-hmm. listening to our radio show in, in this topic of spirituality, what, what would you say? First of all, um, not to be afraid of it, um, that it doesn't necessarily have to be something that is, I think that sometimes for providers it can be feel like that maybe it's a, um, uh, in discord with maybe um, that, you know, that it's very rigid, but to really allow people who are working through addiction to um, dive into their spirituality or what this uh, really means. And that providing that space can be an an incredibly important part of their recovery. Well, wonderful. Thank you very much. Thanks. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you for listening to Through the Trees, the Cedar Addiction Treatment Podcast. Please visit cedarcolorado.org for a wide array of educational content about the disease of addiction and the science of recovery. If you or a loved one are considering CEDAR and the University of Colorado Hospital for treatment, please speak with our admissions team at 720-848-3000. CEDAR, the Center for Dependency, Addiction, and Rehabilitation. Helping people build a life of recovery.